Bible there today. We're going to get those out as our manner is and look into the Word of God. I want to have a look. Um, actually, I'm glad uh, actually both Val and Pastor Graham mentioned what they did in their testimony. Um, Pastor Graham particularly, he said about uh, being the most happy, ridiculous lot, I think were his words, that he'd ever seen. And it's something I want to talk about today is is happiness. Um, pretty basic theme, but pretty fundamental. And um, I uh, consider myself pretty fortunate to have grown up in the family that uh, that I did. Um, actually, having a brother with um, with cerebral palsy, and um, and uh, I guess the challenges that he had, and, and and watching that, both me, and my sister, and my, my parents, and to just see the the happiness that he had in just the simple. The simple things. One of one of his traits for anyone, that, and a lot of people know Michael, but one of his traits uh, is you know he'd be sitting around uh, the dinner table or anywhere just together, and he would randomly just say, "Be happy, Mark." He'd just say that, "Be happy." It's just we'd tell you that. And uh, I also particularly like that um, many of also know that my brother-in-law is Chris, Chris Lester. He's a big lad, and Michael would just say to him randomly, "You're a wuss, Chris." <laughs> I've never quite been able to say that, but Michael gets away with it. Um, but happiness, you know, and um, I want to turn start by looking at a scripture, First Timothy chapter six, uh, in verse six. First Timothy six, verse six. And listening to Val and Pastor Graham's testimony and being able to very briefly touch on, I guess, all that they've seen and experienced over many decades, we just read here about godliness. With contentment is great gain. Another way of putting that is being part of the gospel plan with self-satisfaction or or sufficiency is an exceeding thing to acquire. There's a a great source of joy from it. And it says in verse 7, For we brought nothing into this world, and as certain we carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. And, um, you know, I suppose that thought maybe doesn't really line up with the world that we live in in our Western world because there are so many things that we can have. But uh, as I was saying about my brother and for, for those that have, uh, you know, maybe have family with a, with a disability or people in, you know, in hardship that don't have to have a disability, sometimes people with the hardest natural circumstances are just an incredible... Um, source of inspiration to us because they're just happy with the simple things and that's really what this what this scripture is telling us that look just with the basic things and knowing that we know our creator that we know our future that um you know we if we really dwell on that then we have the capacity to be happy in ourselves happy in our thoughts happy in our you know within our inner self that uh, that we're in his power and that we're never ever going to going to be alone ever and, um, you know, there's a whole range of emotions in this life, isn't there? Um, there's six basic ones that they say. There's many emotions, but there's six basic ones they say about happiness, of course, being one, sadness, love, fear, anger, surprise, and there's many others. But, you know, in the state that our world is now and, uh, you know, you get talking to people, people are experiencing a whole array maybe of these different emotions 
as uh, they handle the, the things they're seeing in the world, as they hear about the things that are happening round about them, maybe to their families and so on. Everyone processes it a bit differently and they run through these emotions. But happiness is the one that most people are seeking first and foremost, just to be happy inside. And um, we need emotions. We need all those other emotions because they help us to experience life and all the facets of life. But when our emotions become a problem is when they begin to control us. And um, God wants us to be in control of our emotions. He's given us that ability through the Holy Ghost and not the other way around where our emotions control us. And, um, sorry, I just dropped the pen there. There's um, new scientific research that finds a link actually between blood type and happiness. The best blood type for happiness, be positive. It's very true. Positivity. You know, maybe it's something we can all struggle with a bit when uh, when circumstances get on top of us a bit, but it, it's true. A positive outlook does so much. Even sometimes we might feel we have to fake it a little bit, but just it drives our our thinking as we as we think on what God has done, and even though we can't always fathom quite his plan about why he'd be interested in our life to the detail he is and why he would have provided a way for us the way he has and why he would have this future and this plan, as we bring our mind into captivity and subjection and, and we and we believe what God says we are and who we are and we lay our minds down, then we have every reason to be positive and it, it has a big impact on us. I want to turn quickly to Psalm 128, Psalm 128, um, verse 1. It says a song of degrees by uh, here, and we just read, it says in verse 1, Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord that walketh in his ways. Full stop. We're blessed if we fear the Lord and walk in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands, happy shall thou be, and it shall be well with thee. This is unconditional. If God is our first love, if he's number one for us in our life, if we do the things that he says and our our heart doesn't belong to something else or somewhere else or caught up with something else, he's promised us happiness. He's promised it. Genuine inner contentment through the Holy Ghost. Peace, expectation of a good future. You know, something that we can really look forward to. And it also says here that we will eat the labor of our own hands. In other words, the effort that we put in, we will, we will see the reward of it. We will. Um, not like so many other things, I suppose, where people can be fearful in this life to put in an effort because there's that worry that someone else can steal the reward away. That people feel, you know, I, I guess, uh, there's all kind of circumstances I, I guess we can think of where people feel like they've been, uh, I don't know the, the word for it, but they've, it's in, injustice, I suppose, where they've put the effort and the work in for some aspect of life and somebody else has reaped the reward for it. But, but what this psalm is telling us that if we, if we serve the Lord, we will eat, we will eat of, we will get the reward of that labor and no one will take it away from us. 
And there's no doubt we're in a time of trouble and uncertainty in our, in our world and, um, it can leave people really fearful. It can leave people really anxious and insecure because maybe for one of the, one of the first times in our country, uh, oh, well, I don't know. I suppose if people that were around maybe during the world wars, there would have been a, uh, and, and maybe even some of the later wars, there'd have been a certain amount of uncertainty about what the future held and what that would mean for people's day to day lives. But certainly we're seeing that now in that people, well, none of us really know when or if or how life will return um, to the way it was before this virus came. Will, will we always have to social distance? Will we be able to travel the way we used to? A, a, whole, a whole bunch of questions, I suppose. But there's situations that affect nations and kingdoms and so on and countries and empires that aren't new. The Bible records many, many situations and... I want to, uh, I actually want to have a look at a story in the book of Nehemiah, um, Nehemiah chapter 8, after Ezra. Just a bit of background. So this, this, uh, passage, the book of Nehemiah, and it was previously believed to be joined with Ezra, Ezra Nehemiah, um, around 5th century BC, before Jesus Christ was on the scene. Nehemiah is um, is a cupbearer to a Persian king, Artaxerxes. Cupbearer, as, as I always like to say, was the official poison checker. That's the uh, is a pretty um, pretty official position. Um, and upon his own request, he asked to be sent uh, to Jerusalem, and he ends up being the governor of Jerusalem, as Artaxerxes allowed him to do this. And Jerusalem had been conquered and destroyed by the Babylonian people and Nehemiah goes back there and he finds it's still partly in ruins but his task is that he's uh, got to go back into this place, into into Jerusalem and he's got to rebuild, rebuild the walls and to help repopulate this city and he faces a whole bunch of opposition and I just want to quickly give a summary just to build a picture of each chapter very quickly. So chapter 1, it deals with him returning to Jerusalem, carrying some letters of authorization uh, from the king, and he begins to inspect the walls. In chapter 2, um, Nehemiah and uh, and the Jews, including uh, Eliashib, who was the high priest, they begin rebuilding the Jerusalem. In chapter 3, he comes across some enemies of uh, Sambalat of Samaria, Tobiah the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arab, and uh, some men of Ashdod as well. So he gets, trouble starts pretty quickly. In chapter 4, um, Nehemiah goes to see the Jewish uh, uh, nobles, and he sees that they're oppressing the poor in the land. And he forces the cancellation of all debt and all mortgages. And so you just start to get this picture of these were these were pretty tough times that had turned this society upside down. And um, in the next chapter, um, Sambala actually accuses Nehemiah of planning rebellion against the Persian king, against Artaxerxes. Um, and he's opposed by the Jewish nobles, but they build the wall anyway. Um, next after that, Nehemiah, he goes and um, sets up officials and um, he sets guards on the walls and on the gates and so on. So he's re-establishing it here. And in chapter 8, he assembles the people together and he, him with Ezra and he begins to uh, read the law of Moses to re-establish 
um, the thing that made them a blessed people in the first place. And I just want to pick up um, passages here in Nehemiah 8. I want to start reading in verse 8. You're already in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8. It says, So they read in the book in the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is the Tirshatha, which means the governor, and Ezra, the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the Lord. Probably because, uh, well, they knew they'd departed from it. And then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy. Neither be ye grieved. This is not a time to be unhappy. This is a day to rejoice, and it's going to be your strength. And it says in verse 12, And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth or great celebration because they had understood the words that were declared to them. They ended up being happy because they were reminded of the law of God, of who they were, and uh, that, you know, they were in ruin, uh, I guess post the Babylonian invasion, but now they were seeing a restoration, not just physically around them, but to God's principles and teachings. And being happy in the Lord is if we, uh, if we're in tune with his teaching and his direction, it creates a source of joy. It becomes, it becomes our strength in the Lord. And I guess there's a principle here for us not to be grieved at his teachings. Sometimes the flesh can grieve at God's teachings because the Bible tells us that there's a war going on in us, the spirit and then this world, and, the, and they'll war one with another, and our, and our flesh wants to grieve. But God says, if you want to be happy, then being happy in me, in my teachings, my principles, my plan, that will be your strength. That is where your joy will come from. God's teachings are truth. And truth makes us free, doesn't it? The truth sets us free. Um, there was a really great post I saw. Someone just had up a, um, a saying, um, and it said, truth sounds like hate to those who hate truth. It's a very true saying because our world wants to point to, to try and shape the word of God to sound like hate, that it's discriminative against people and that it's to make your life worse. But God knows it's the only thing that's really going to make us happy. It's the only thing that will truly set a person free. And these were principles. Um, some of the things that we just looked at as we read in Nehemiah, there were principles that Nehemiah and Ezra had to re-establish and remind God's people to help them again in their joy, to uh, to help their happiness. And uh, I, just, I just want to go through a few things that actually help our joy and our happiness in the Lord. And one of them, one of them, it's not something that we necessarily uh, enjoy, but one of them's correction. I want to go to um, Job chapter five. It just says in verse seventeen, "Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth; therefore despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty." It says, "For he maketh sore and bindeth up; he woundeth, and his hands make whole." Now, none of us, 
the Bible tells us that no chastening of the Lord is pleasant at the time, but afterwards it yields fruit. And, uh, and I know certainly there's been times in my life where someone being able to point out something to me where I have been going not quite the way I should have, even though it may have been a bit hard at the time, it actually ended up helping my joy in the long run because I learned something, I understood something, and I'm sure we can all relate to that. And that's part of having a soft and a moldable heart before the Lord because the Lord never finishes doing that with us. That um, we never hit a state like like Paul said. He said, "Not that I um, not that I say that I have attained." He says, we never hit this point where we, we've arrived. There's nothing more to learn. There's, there's nowhere else to go. For our joy, God wants to keep molding us, shaping us, and, and sometimes correcting us. And of course, we've been placed in a fellowship where we have, um, you know, just, just like with Ezra and Nehemiah before the people of Israel, God establishes an oversight, people who will help us in those things. And, um, I want to turn to Second Corinthians, if we can, chapter one. And as Paul's just writing again to the church at Corinth, he just reminds them in verse 24 about what the role was of, of the oversight there. He just says in verse 24, For not that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, for by faith you stand. Um, I guess sometimes uh, we can feel or people can think the oversight are there to actually stop people's joy or to try and... Uh, Make things unnecessarily hard, but, but that's the whole, uh, that's the whole purpose is to be helpers of people's joy in the Lord. Just like the Lord is the, the ultimate oversight for us all, that, um, He's not trying to, uh, stagnate our life. He teaches us and He corrects us to be helpers of our joy in our relationship with Him. And it's the same pattern. He doesn't, uh, have dominion over our faith. He's given us a free will choice to love Him, to follow Him or not, but he wants to be helpers of our joy, to help us to love him and serve him. Um, one of the other things that really helps us, our joy, is to learn things that, that actually matter because there are so many things we can learn in this life and, and take on and understand and, and gain knowledge of, but in a lot of ways... Um, you know, maybe they don't help us all that much. I, I want to turn to Proverbs chapter three. Proverbs three. Just picking up a few scriptures. There's just so much we could look at, of course. Proverbs three. Proverbs is a, is a book of, of a lot of wisdom, but it just says in verse uh, 13, happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding and we know the beginning of the Proverbs, it tells us what wisdom is, where it begins. The fear or the respect of God is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. It's where it starts. Um, it says in verse 14, For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things thou canst desire and not to be compared unto her. Learning the things that matter. Um, I, I know I find myself sometimes, I mean, we, uh, I, I have a job as uh, many of us do and, and, and so on. And there's a lot of learning to do these days. You know, systems change all the time. There's, uh, there's new software, new procedures, and you, and you can feel like you're constantly learning and taking in new information. And we need to do some of those things. 
but learning the wisdom of God and the things that matter and then not just learning them but to then put ourselves in a position to be able to apply them somewhere. You know, that is that is what God is rejoicing in. Um, another thing, happiness, another source of happiness comes from uh, from giving God good counsel and preaching the gospel. Just over another couple of chap- chapters, Proverbs chapter 12, and it's really hard to pick out a single sort of verses in the book of Proverbs. You can just keep reading. But it says uh, in verse 20 of Proverbs 12, it says, Deceit is in the heart of them that imagine evil, but to the counsellors of peace is joy or happiness. Who are the, who are the counsellors of peace? It's those that would want to go and take the gospel. As we as we have a desire or just uh, we seek the Lord, Lord, use me in this way however you can, one of the fruits of that is going to be peace and joy. Um, our minds tell us different. Our minds tell us that it's going to be, uh, you know, maybe a bit scary or we're going to get a mouthful from someone or, you know, we go in a bit of fear and trembling. That's all, that's all normal. But the fruit of, uh, of the counsellors of peace is happiness. And um, I, I guess our society, again, wants to remind us something different, that don't go and bug other people with that, that God stuff. But God's saying, no, no, one of the fruits, of, if you go and do that, you, the counsels of peace is it's going to make you happy. It might not make sense as to why it makes happy, makes you happy, but he says it will because we're doing the work of the Lord. And um, we all need to be stirred up in these things. And I just want to talk a little bit too about service. John chapter 13. Service. I think we sing there is joy, joy, joy in serving Jesus. Um, John 13 verse 12. Jesus Christ set, of course, always the ultimate example. It says, so after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, know you what I have done because he just washed their feet. He says, you call me master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Now, of course, in our day and age, it's not custom to wash each other's feet, but it was in those days, and he was doing it as an example for service. And so he's saying, if you understand the principle of that Jesus Christ came and served us and that uh, he is greater than us, yet he served us, he said, if you understand that principle then and we go and do it and likewise serve others, again, the fruit of that, the reward of that, is going to be happiness, not just a, a an outside facade, but an inner, an inner contentment, an inner joy, and a, and all the things that are associated with with the joy of the spirit. It's an example, and there's a happiness to be had in serving others that we cannot and will not find in serving ourselves. It's different, and Jesus knew that, and He wanted to highlight that to us. Of course. We've got to do it cheerfully. I want to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 
verse 6. He says, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. That's a really simple principle to understand. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. God loves those who can serve him and are happy to do so. He's not looking to force us to try and bend our free will or force. He's, he loves when it's a free giving attitude because that's actually the nature of his son. That's the nature of him. When we're able to do it with that approach and that attitude, that is being Christ-like, Christ-minded. And, um, <laughs> I can think of times uh, maybe in my teenage years uh, when I was asked to do something and I was probably had to be asked maybe three to ten times before I did it. Um, maybe you're in that situation now and what do you do when you're asked? You do just the bare minimum if you're lucky. Maybe just. And then, you know, your response was back then, well, I did it, didn't I? You know, and, uh, and maybe, you know, you're in a work situation or a, or we, or we've seen that attitude. Uh, I won't say in our children, but, or, or in people we know, but, you know, it can be, there's this task and I, and, and we're thinking that I will do the very minimum I can to cross that line, to tick the box, to say, yep, I've done it. But what are the chances of somebody doing that task again who's got that approach? Not very high, is it? You're not likely to do that again. And why? Because there's no joy in doing it. It's seen uh, as a as a chore, and not the joy or the benefit that comes from it. And it goes on, and, and it talks about what God is able to do with our cheerful giving. It says in verse eight, "And God is able to make all grace abound towards you." We need God's grace to abound towards us. Without God's grace abounding towards us and abounding, so this is this isn't just a little bit. This is this is greatness. We're all going to be in a lot of trouble. <laughs> we need God's grace abounding. That ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. There's a lot of abounds in there, but it's talking about having an oversupply of what we need. And it just goes on in, uh, I'll just skip down to verse 11, and it says, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causes through us thanksgiving to God. When we give cheerfully of what we're able to and, and happily to the Lord, one of the things that it causes is other people to be thankful to God, other people to be appreciative to God through our joy and service. We, we maybe don't think about that a lot, but when we do what we can for the Lord, it causes other people to praise the Lord. And maybe we don't see the effect of that. You know, maybe it's... Maybe it's the unsaved as well that that rejoice in that testimony, and and it's you know sometimes the brother or sister that's really struggling, and that that joyful service was just that thing that they needed just to get them through that day. There's 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 so much God does with our service that happens outside of what we can see. You know, a, a lot of us you know we're humble by nature praise the lord that's a good thing you know the bible tells us not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think and and that's the way it needs to be but um god's rejoicing he he sees all the fruit 
of of our labour and our service. And praise the Lord, we we need to keep that up as uh, well. The more we uh, get closer to the Lord coming back, and you know, and there's there's the opposite too, in that sometimes you know we can think I have too much going on in my own life, in my own needs, you know, my own circumstances to be able to serve others that I don't really have the capacity. And God says otherwise. Um, I want to look at a story just really quickly back in the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 12. And I was just having a bit of a think about some of the, the kings of the Bible. And there's something that stood out to me here in, in chapter 12. And what this de- details is the amount of kings that Joshua overcame. And the word Joshua, it means Jehovah saved. That's what his name means. And it just says in verse 1, Now these are the kings of the land which the children of Israel... I missed something there. Yep. Now now these are the kings of the land which the children of Israel smote and possessed their land on the uh, other side of Jordan towards the rising of the sun from the river Arnon and uh, Mount Hermon and all the plain of the east. And it goes on and it talks about um, it goes through these 31 different kings. And um, in this time, um, there's these, these incredible amount of battles and overcoming that, that has to happen. And one of the amazing things is in verse 17, um, I was looking at um, some... Sorry, I've picked up in the wrong place there. I was supposed to read verse 7. Sorry. Let's start again in verse 7. It says, and these are the kings of the country which Joshua and the children of Israel smote on the side of the Jordan. And it goes through and it lists 31 different kings. It's a bit mind-boggling to think that Joshua in his, uh, I guess, in his plan and, and, and walk with God, 31 different kings of nations. And verse 17, one of the kings it mentions is, uh, it says, the king of Tapua and the king of Hepha. And Hepha, if you look up what his name meant in, uh, in in ancient Hebrew, it means the pit of shame. And what a point that Joshua overcame, Jehovah saved from the pit of shame. These thirty-one different oppositions, you know, of and and, and these uh, these great kings of uh, of that he had to come across. And we think about a type here for our life that. Who knows what kind of things we're going to come across and what things we'll need deliverance from. But Jehovah saved. God goes before us in every circumstance. And no matter how many oppositions come up in our life, Jehovah saves and delivers. And he's able to set us free. It's something to be ever ever mindful of and reminding one another of that we have the answer and the solution. And... I want to just look at a couple, a thought to finish in, um, in 1st Thessalonians chapter 5. I, I can't really fathom coming against 31 different kings, but there you go, the life of Joshua. Um, 1st Thessalonians 5, and, um, this is a, this is a bit of a, what you'd call a, a, a benediction or a closing, a closing thought that Paul wanted to leave to the brethren there at, uh, Thessalonica, or however you say that. Thessalo, how do you say that, Nico? Thessalo, yeah, I don't think I can imitate that very well. We heard it, that's good. Anyway, Thessaloniki, I'll say that. 
um, in verse 12. And so he's written this sort of a finally, brethren, a, a closing off. And and when we look at what he's reminded them of, and we're gonna gonna read through it, I believe he's given very very good ingredients to be happy. And he says in verse 12, and we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labour among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in the in love, for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. There's a there's a great falling of respect for all kinds of authority in our society these days, for every kind of authority. But what we're being encouraged here is that the people that labour labour in the work of the Lord for our sake, show them respect, admonish them for the for the Lord's sake. There can only be blessing that comes from it. And you know, any other attitude, it's it's just not going to end up um it's just not going to end up well for us, you know, because it builds it builds a seed of uh, you know of bitterness and, and discontent and all those kind of things. But if we can esteem those that labour in 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 the Lord of, of of all brethren for their for their work's sake, it says, and be at peace amongst yourselves. It will bring a peace if we can have that attitude. And then he goes on and says in verse fourteen, now we exhort you, brethren, warn warn them that are unruly, and comfort the feeble minded. Support the weak and be patient towards all men. There's probably a lifetime endeavor just in those, <laughs> those passage there to be patient towards all men. We all need help with those things. It says in verse 15, see that none render evil for evil unto any man, not tit for tat. It's talking about, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. And, and as we're reading through these things, you're looking at it, I think, did Paul write this to have dominion over people's faith or did he write it to help them be happy in the Lord because he had found that this is what, in, in all the struggles that he had, all the things he had to go and face. I was going to have a look in the book of Acts where he said he was prepared to go into Jerusalem not knowing what had befallen him there. He said he had no idea what was going to come upon him, but it probably wasn't going to be good, but he was prepared to do it for the gospel. He wrote this through experience and wisdom that this would be a source to people's joy. Then he says in verse 16, rejoice evermore. It doesn't mean that there's things that, you know, won't make us unhappy at times or things that we won't find difficult, but it's an attitude. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. When we can't give thanks in a situation, it means that we've narrowed our vision, that we've taken God out of the equation and we've gone, this problem is isolated to me and, and maybe the people that I know and God has no way in on it. But we can give thanks when we realize that God is bigger than the situation because then we have trust that God is bigger and then he will find a, a way to work. Even when we don't understand it, he will find a way to work. So we're able to give thanks. Quench not the spirit, the Holy Ghost. You know, so many things take our time. Um, over prayer often, you know, you, often we all have busy days and, you know, and, uh, and, and maybe we don't kindle that spirit as much as we should. I mean, I know we've got some brethren here that are, that are great fans and great supporters of our prayer meetings and, and get along as often as they can and, and are there to support it. And maybe that's something that we once attended and now it's something we don't even give much thought to. Oh, it's just a prayer meeting. But that's what this, 
I mean, we, we can pray in our own space too, but quench not the spirit. How good is it to come together unified as the body of Christ and to pray in the Holy Ghost and not be distracted by everything else in life for a time? We can do that at home, sure, but let's just make it every, every opportunity whatever way we can. Despise not prophesyings. Lots of prophecy in the Bible. I think uh, here we tend to rejoice in that the Bible gives an awareness of uh, what's you know, what's coming in our world, but also just uh, inspired speech of what we're to do in our walk with the Lord. It says in verse 21, to prove all things and hold fast that which is good. It can be a challenge in our, in our society to hold fast to that which is good because everything we turn on a lot of the time, and, you know, it's an assessment we all have to do with ourselves, things we're watching, the things we're listening to, the things that we just have somehow over time allowed in our life and then sometimes we can wonder why we're not feeling that good while we don't seem to have the same joy in the Lord maybe as we once had but it's good to take stock of what have I now allowed how much of our world's media and influence and and style have I allowed to come into my life and have I stopped and actually assessed is that affecting my happiness in the Lord something we've all got to do abstain from all the Appearance of evil, again, it's probably tied up with that. And verse 23, and the very peace of God sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. There is a, uh, there's a great list that we could probably spend uh, the rest of our days seeking the Lord about to to become more like Christ and less like our natural person. And it will, it is the source of joy because brothers and sisters, we have, uh, we have a hope and a future that is second to nothing in this world. We, we have a future that we cannot really begin to comprehend. And, and God all the time is trying to, through the Holy Ghost, through fellowship, every time we come together, Every time we preach the gospel, we share our testimony with someone. He's trying to open our eyes, our spiritual vision to say, this is who you are. This is what I have prepared for you. And of course, our world's chipping away at that all the time to try and drag us back down, but God will never stop trying to open our vision. And when, when we get, as we get glimpses of that and as we get a steadfastness in our service to the Lord, there is a joy that we know, and I'm sure many people could get up and testify about it that nothing else in this world will replace. And praise the Lord, we we are a happy people in the Lord. And everyone said, Amen.